Welcome to the Bad Filipino Podcast. I am your host, Mickey Angeline, and today's guest is Beatty Wolf. Vice calls her a musical weirdo and visionary. Beatty combines science, technology, and sound in her music projects. Today, we talk about her ability to beam music directly into space, her project titled Raw Space, and an art collaboration called Postcards for Democracy that everyone can participate in. Live again, back with Mickey Angeline, your host for The Bad Filipino, and I'm I'm too stoked, and I'm so humbled to have the incredible Beauty Wolf here in studio with me, kind of, because she's from her own house studio, but she's here. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> You're I'm here. here. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, Thursday. So we were talking before we went live about air quality, because we're going to get into how awesome you are, work that you've done. Um, this cool project you've got coming up, the Postcards for Democracy, I think everyone needs to take part in that. In fact, I haven't yet because I was waiting to have you on here because I'm excited to create some art and send it your way. Nice. Um, right. And then also, yeah. too, so and then also because of the fact that we met at the She Rock Awards. So, yeah, I just I feel like we're like kin sisters, even though we haven't had a yet chance to really, really hang out yet. Yeah. And, that, <laughs> and, and we were just chatting. So that was what, like eight months ago. Um, I know what what a different world and um but that night you know i think the lineup was just incredible um you know we we're chatting about Susie and how you were Susie Quattro and how you were being her personal chauffeur amongst many other things and um yeah and her and i like we we hadn't met before but there was this very special connection based on actually um the the dedication i gave which was to this dear friend ali willis who just passed away and uh susie had sort of something to tell me and since then we've really become good friends and you know she sent me some lyrics the other week uh it's this song that she thinks you know we're meant to do together so um yeah what? that that night was pretty magical and uh and just am it's amazing just i feel like you know, ending it with I Will Survive, you know, by Gloria Gaynor. I mean, also also now looking back and thinking what we've all gone through um, with everything. <laughs> so it was sort of like the best way of starting a year in some ways. I agree 110 because we didn't know. I mean, that was like the end of January. It's the tip for me, especially with Nam and with the She Rocks Awards. That's my family reunion with my music family. And I look forward to it every year. And I'm so glad I had that opportunity, even though, like we mentioned, I said, I feel bad that you and I didn't get to get to know each other better and hang out backstage because I did end up being Linda Perry's driver and Susie Quattro. And Susie's, she is a fire, like, yeah legend in the game and she had just come in from i think she did a tour in australia i think she said yeah so she's even on a different time zone her body and yet she's just she killed it and you know and then i got to take her back home and and she's um she has this way of knowing things about you and so she's like talking to different people and her and i had like the best conversation when i took her back to her hotel and i didn't want it to end because she just felt like a best friend by the end of the evening yeah so i'm really stoked to hear 
what you two come up with because I think that would be absolutely magical. Yeah. Yeah. No, me too. Me too. <laughs> so then for you, and um, how about giving the audience, for those who don't really know about you, yeah. a little insight on who you are and how you got started in music and what you do that's so unique when it comes to music platform? Well, it's, you know, um, the, the sort of short answer is I'm a, you know, I'm a musician, I'm an artist, um, and I create new tangible formats for the digital age. And even that is like, not a mouthful, but like, even that is something a bit different. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, I've been writing songs since I was five. You know, I, uh, storytelling in every form from sort of putting on plays to, you know, writing stories, that was just what occupied my entire childhood. And, and then I discovered you could put these stories to music and that was kind of like that aha moment. Um, so that was when I was around five or six, I started writing songs on the keyboard. And uh, at the same time, I discovered my parents' record collection. And that was something that imprinted so deeply because I really saw these records as musical books that you could open up and read like stories. And there was the, you know, the tangible art form, the ceremony to the whole experience. And then, of course, like the story that the record was telling even before you got to the music. So for me, like music and that whole package were kind of, they were sort of one, you know, it, it wasn't something you could sort of separate. And from that age, I was imagining, well, what will my albums look like? What will they feel like? What worlds will I create? And by the time I grew up, obviously, like the physical, the physical listening music experience, which I loved, you know, tapes, CDs, vinyl, like even mini discs, you know, they kind of sucked. But you know, <laughs> I, I really, I was the kind of person that would buy, you know, an album on every format. And that's where all my money went was music. And, you know, by the time my first record was going to come out, I realized that everything that I loved had been replaced with this digital experience, which to me was just not satisfactory. Like it was great in terms of what it progressed and how it allowed, you know, artists to sort of take more control and micropayments, all these things that now, you know, are, are much more kind of normal. But it also, you know, in, in my opinion, it sort of displaced a lot of the things that I loved about that listening experience to begin with, which were ceremony, tangibility and storytelling. So I felt like, well, my first album can even e e either exist as, you know, this this sort of iTunes download, and, and of course it would exist like that, or I could, and it can exist as a vinyl, but what if it was something totally different, which combined the best of the old and the best of the new, and was essentially like a way of presenting a vinyl in the 21st century, like what would that look like? So, you know, for the first album, it was literally turning the phone, it was a way of turning the phone using this little Japanese device, into a theater for the palm of your hand. So you could watch, you know, this performance in this really magical, immersive way um, through this kind of lens that looked a bit like the 80s viewfinder. And, you know, that was the beginning of, of it all. And then from there, you know, I created this musical jacket, which was a reimagining of the album jacket, um, cut by the tailor who dressed Bowie Hendrix Jagger out of fabric 
woven with my music that was recorded in the space where McCartney wrote Eleanor Rigby, Hendrix wrote The Wind Cries Mary. I created a, a, for, a format that was a, a deck of cards, which was actually a record as a deck of cards. It looked like a cassette tape. You open it up, you have a card for each track of the album. Tap that to your phone, it would instantly bring up the song and all of the content. I then, I then did like an anti-stream experience from The Quietest Room on Earth, which was this live 360 Fantasia experience for this record that was coming to life around you with the animations from the space where Helen Keller experienced silence for the first time. Uh, and then I did a space broadcast using the horn that proved the Big Bang, sending my record into space with the scientist that won the Nobel Prize for discovering cosmic microwave radiation. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's like each one of those is a story in itself, you know, in terms of why and the layers. Um, and of course, we have some time to go into it. But you know, then I got to Oh, we it. will. We will because you're <laughs> you're you're doing this whole outline like it's the summary of the beginning of a thousand page book and I'm just enamored. So yes, please continue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I think for me a big life highlight was getting to present all of these, you know, original sort of innovations and designs that I'd come up with in uh, a solo exhibition at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London with the, the Bowie curatorial team, the guys that did that big Bowie show, and having it be this sort of retrospective, which was totally surreal. You know, I'm, I, I am not, you know, a traditional artist in that sense, but then I also don't really know what I am. And I think that's kind of good because I feel like, you know, being a musician today can get very limited and, and actually being anything can get very limited. And I've always thought, well, wouldn't you just see where you know your curiosity takes you and and be an artist in sort of the more in the renaissance sense you know whether it's poetry whether it's visual art whether it's music um whatever it is that you know whatever is the best format to tell that story or whatever are the best fields to enrich that experience um so i'm i guess i'm just all about you know not imposing parameters that needn't be there and also finding a way of making music more vital again because I think it's lost a lot of of the things that were there in the early you know in the in the physical listening experience which actually gave it that whole visual component that you know it, it sort of was this entire world and we've lost the worlds around you know music and albums and stories yes okay so that was so poetic and you're right because when you flashed back in the beginning of the conversation when you talked about you remembered your parents albums I as a kid remember riding my bike to the store and wanting to because vinyl was the thing for me growing up 45s the, the 33s and it was before the 12 inch singles because that wasn't junior high for me but I remember being and this wasn't right but I did it I would open the the vinyl LP jackets because I wanted to see the artwork on the inside and I wanted to read the lyrics because this was way before the internet. I'm talking mm. this is this is like late 70s, early 80s for me. And the only way for you to know lyrics to a song was just to memorize it across the radio or you bought the album and you played it over and over and you read it in the jacket. Yeah. And that and then and it, we knew me and my brother, we knew like we shouldn't do it, but we just couldn't help it. And you're right. And then it, it transcended to cassettes, which mm -hmm. 
they still printed the lyrics, but it was super, super tiny. But once it gets to the digital thing, you're right. It's it it lost that magic, but it helped artists because there was also that transition through people pirating the music and and finding ways to kind of protect that and whatnot and get music out to the people. But you, it's just so unique. You're right. There isn't a real label for what you do. It seems like you get hit with a muse and you get hit with this inspiration and you get hit with this this idea and you just go to town with it and bam and all of a sudden boop here's here's this thing from Beanie and is this amazing little I don't know what it is but she's going to show us right now and <laughs> you even threw photos my way so did you want me to pull some up and you can kind of a little elaborate more on the work with those or what, yeah cuz like I mean, this one here mm, yeah so that's the that's the horn antenna okay so that was um that was what we used to send the record into space. Oh my um, gosh. And that originally, that was the instrument that captured the sound at the birth of our universe. Um, so it picked up cosmic microwave radiation, which proved the validity of the Big Bang theory. So essentially, like the, the astronomers that used that, that discovered CMB, you know, they won the Nobel Prize for proving, you know, that the, the ba Big Bang theory was like likely. Um, so this amazing instrument that really hasn't been used, you know, much since then, um, I just, I ended up sort of meeting the, that, you know, uh, astronomer, one of the astronomers who won the Nobel prize for the discovery. And we were chatting in front of the horn and, you know, I said to him, okay, you've used this to receive, but have you ever used it to transmit? And he was like, no. Uh, and I was like, well, you know, I've, I just did this record and, you know, I was working at Bell Labs at the time to create this anti-stream experience. I was like, well, it's called raw space, like nothing to do with space, actually to do with this anechoic environment where you can hear the blood, you know, rushing through your veins and there's no reverb and there's no EQ. Um, and I just, I fell in love with that room and I fell in love with that raw sound. Um, so I said to him, yeah, this is the record is, you know, raw space and like it would be fun to send it up into space <laughs> using this instrument. And and he was like, no, you know, it wouldn't be possible because the sound waves will get to a point in the Earth's atmosphere and then they'll stop. And I thought that was the end of the conversation. And about a month later, I get an email from him saying, you know, BT, I, I figured it out. I can do an update on the horn. And this is a national historic landmark, you know, and he's like an 80 year old scientist. And so, uh, you know, he's like, do you still want to do it? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> hell, hell yeah. <laughs> you lit a fire under him that he hadn't had in a while. Yeah. I mean, that's the funny thing. Like sometimes the number of times I think, particularly when you're telling some of these stories and, he, and you know, each one has genuinely has a magical serendipity to it. And I think people are like, how, how did, you know, how were you able to do that? Or how did that, you know, you get that person on board and it's often just asking, but asking with a, with something of a, of like a vision, something that excites you, yes, something that you're passionate about and there's an intention behind it. And, you know, but it's amazing how many times it's just asking people. And I think <laughs> we get so like, again, that thing with, Oh, but I'm a I'm an artist, you know, why would I work with an astronomer or why would I work with an engineer or why would I work with a tailor or 
you know, it's it's like we often stay in our kind of in this wheelhouse. And I I just get so much out of meeting these all these different kinds of people and getting to do these wonderful experiments with them, which are ultimately still about, you know, what what I'm always trying to do, which is reintroduce a deeper, more ceremonial experience around music today, you know, so that's the central intention. And each one, even though the output is very different, is sort of all pointing to that. It's all about music and art and why they're important to our humanity, you know. Well, and that takes it back to because you mentioned raw space. Is that what this photo is about? Right. Yeah. So that's yes. the ch that's the chamber. Um, so it was the quietest room in the world for uh, several decades. It was the place Helen Keller experienced silence for the first time, uh, where they discovered rogue frequencies and psychoacoustics, and you know made all these incredible discoveries that relate to our understanding of audio. Um, and yeah, that was where I did this anti-stream for the last record. And I had a physical record player playing the album on repeat 24 hours for a week with a live 360 camera streaming it um, that people could log in, they could be in that space, they could hear the music in that pure focused way, but they couldn't shuffle, they couldn't interfere with the record, you know, stream in any way. But then using live animations, the lyrics would be streaming out of the vinyl, the artwork would be surrounding you and turning the chamber into the visual landscape of each track. And that was happening in real time, you know, and at that point, Live 360 hadn't been done, you know, let alone Live 360 AR, which is essentially what it was. But, you know, the thing about my work is like, it, it happens to be very technologically advanced. Like each one of the album formats is the first of its kind but it has a very nostalgic uh, and tangible and sort of, you know, it doesn't feel, it's not about celebrating the technology. The technology is a facilitator in actually reintroducing a more traditional kind of old school experience around music. So with that, with that record experience, it really felt like the world of the album was, was coming to life around you like Fantasia you know, and that's a good example. <laughs> yeah. That's and a that really was, good example. That was how I felt like opening up Abbey Road as a kid. It just felt as if, you know, the lyrics were coming out of the record and the artwork was coming out of the record and you were being transported into this world. So that's what I'm always trying to do. It's like, how can you create that beautiful ceremonial environment around an experience like a record and, you know, use technology as sort of a magic dust that turns, you know, a phone into an 80s Viewmaster or a, you know, a, a, an album jacket into this woven, you know, record jacket um, or this, you know, a, a turntable into this kind of Fantasia experience. Because that and then where that comes from and anyone listening, if you haven't seen it, you gotta watch it on the YouTube app on your phone because she's not kidding. I did it. And you walk around and you're spinning. You're, it's, it's like an interactive musical experience and i remember i was teasing you because i said it's like where's bd you try to find her because she's walking around the room and she'll disappear until you turn with your phone and you turn the phone and you just watch where you're going because i actually bumped into my couch and then i realized i have to watch where i'm at it's almost I, I i guess i would experience it to people when they got all crazy with pokemon go 
I didn't do it, but I watched people yeah. do it. It's similar to that, but it's this crazy, incredible visual and audio just fantasy world. And I loved it. I sent it to so many of my friends, like, you know, private messaging going, make sure you use the app. It won't look the same if you just try to use it on your laptop. And I played with that thing for probably an hour. Like, cause you just, you, you can't catch it all in one time watching it. So there's so much of it that I went back and I had to focus on a little bit more part. And then I go back and I focus on a little bit more part because it was really incredible. And that I mean, was, you're... Oh, go ahead. No, just in that, you know, that was all, so everything you saw was blending in real time live with that with the 4K video. So you wow. you had this chamber and this record player and that's you know that's real. I mean if an engineer walked in you see the engineer. That's why you saw me walk in. Cuz I was right, like, right. I, I was turning the record, you know, the whole thing yeah. on. But like <laughs> as soon as it started playing you know, the, the animations were blending with the music in that environment yes. in real time. Um, and then each song had its own world and on every spin that evolved. So it oh, wow. was this kind of thing, which I think, you know, again, with technology, we can get so caught up in what we can do without knowing why we're doing it. And that's the last thing I'm interested in. So that whole thing of sort of, you know vr like i even before raw space you know when i'd done the jacket and this deck deck of cards um and obviously before that this theater for the, your hand you know everyone was like oh i bet this was just when ar and vr was beginning to get kind of just on the cusp and and the everything everyone would say i bet you're gonna do something and i was like no i fucking hate i hate <laughs> like, i'm not interested because i couldn't see any reason to do it Right. And then when I was in that room and that whole realization of like, this is the anti-echo chamber. We are so in an echo chamber right now. And this is literally the anti-echo chamber. And this is the most ceremonial in terms of being in a space and coming back to just being with yourself. You know, a lot of people go into that room and they, they would freak out because you can hear the blood in your veins and it's so quiet and I had the opposite experience and I found it so calming and it made me realize we have so much noise around us all the time and music and art has become part of that background noise this 24-hour shuffle that we just yes had. agreed so what if you know you have this real ceremonial environment you have this record player it's playing that's not going to be interfered with it plays 24 hours for a week as this total opposite of our streaming culture but then you're using ar to bring to life all the elements of the record that you know equally i loved as well as the music which are the liner notes you know the lyrics the artwork yes and all of it you're doing it in a way that feels really integrated um so that was that was really you know, the, the why behind that. And then when I had to present that in this exhibition, I was really like struggling because I didn't want people to have to put on headsets. Like I hate headsets. So I, so I was thinking, how could you do it, it similarly using a nostalgic device? Um, and so that was the idea behind building this space chamber. And it was a, a mylar wrapped, a NASA grade mylar wrapped anechoic chamber 
that people would enter and it had, you know, the record player and the speakers. And then it had one of the old coin operated viewports, you know, the kind you would look oh, at. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then using one of those, which everyone knows how to use from a grandparent yes. to a kid, they could watch the album come, come to life, you know, in that space. And that's another thing I really believe is it should be inclusive. You know, everyone should know how to experience it. Everyone should be able to experience it. And it shouldn't be this thing that's like, you know, you got to get all this gear and it's only if you're like savvy with that kind of stuff. Like I'm not, I'm not into that. I think it should be inclusive and immediate and just feel as if like something is just coming to life in this very natural, magical way. So how is it your, just to be on the inside of your brain at any given point when you're coming up with these concepts, you know, cause as you're breaking this down and explaining it, my mind's going, how is she, where does this come from? And like for that, for the raw space from idea to completion, how long did that project take for you to do? It was crazy quick. It was like really? six months. Oh, jeez. Yeah. And, and honestly, that was also because I was working with a design team, Design IO, okay. um, who I've worked with before. And I, they are family. I mean, actually, usually I, I say that sort of, um, you know, as a, what's the word? Like, not literally, but they really are family. Yeah. It's my brother and his, and his um, wife. And okay. Yeah. And we've worked together on... Um, we worked together on the first record as well. And so I have a team that I, you know, as, as soon as I had the idea and I was able to discuss it and we could get together and we, I'd play through the music and we'd both go through the visuals of what we were seeing. And honestly, you know, I think when you're working with a, a team, a small team that are all on the same page and it's kind of that thing where there really is that, just that right sort of, synergy and i hate that word because it sounds so like synergy man <laughs> but you know it's like it, it's amazing how that honestly could have taken three years you know and, and 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 a lot of the as as much as it was down to the conception and figuring out the layers um it was also down to the coding which you know they are incredibly good at. I was going to um, say, and then there's coding, which yeah. I know nothing of, but I know it exists. Because as you break down what it took to make that, you don't see that in the experience. Mm -hmm. So you succeeded. You created yeah. an experience without people, unless, of course, the nerd text would be like, oh my gosh, how did you do this? But in general, you don't. It's almost, it's the same to me as the magic of a movie done right. And so where is this at that oh, in, where, where you did that? Oh, so this is in New Jersey. Okay. So, yeah. This is Bell Labs. That's chamber that, you know, we, we saw a photo of, um, which is where the whole record was live 360 AR streamed from. Um, that's in New Jersey at the Bell Labs, um, Bell Labs engineer like complex. So, you okay. know, they, they invented the telephone, they invented the transistor, you know, they, they're in the, an incredible bunch of invent inventors and they had a program that began with Warhol and Cage and Rauschenberg, um, which was called Experiments in Art and Technology. And it was all about the engineers partnering with artists 
to basically learn from one another. And so that program had attenuated, like um, just when I first met the president of Bell Labs and I, and I just had this idea and I was like, you know, imagine if we did this. Um, and so actually it became the 50 year reboot raw space. Oh, for this, whoa. Yeah. For okay. This amazing program. Um, you know, me and, and raw space were the reboot of arts experiments in art and technology. Look at you. It's like everything you touch just turns to gold. So on this net, okay. So on this next photo, tell me about this. Okay. So this, you know, now we're, we're, uh, cause there's the video too. Oh yeah. And we can totally watch the video. Do you want to watch the video now and then yeah. you'll explain it? Okay. Yeah. I'll go ahead and share the screen. We'll go ahead and watch the video. This will be awesome. All right. Uh, where do we go? Where do I go? Where do I go? Maybe it's just a still. No, that is there. I'm going to go to the, here we go, right? Outside the people like cars are still running When inside it's safe to deny that it's coming The TV's turned up so the winds are just humming To the sound of the heat rising we don't want to hear that the problem is us So we live like we want in our own universe Cause man thinks he's God in a devilish way We're too proud to see what we won't even say We don't want to know, don't want to know, don't want to know, don't want to know No, we don't want to know, don't want to know, don't want to know to school where you'll learn how to live by a new set of rules we played all our cards and none left for you forgive us my dear can't you see it's the truth that we don't want to know don't want to know don't want to know don't want to know no we don't want to know don't want to know don't want to know don't want to know Wow. That was an experience. I even waited. Like you sent that. I'm like, I'm going to wait. I want my reaction to be organic because I'm seeing you with the information. That's why I had to take away the ticker. I'm like, wait, there's information at the bottom of this video. <laughs> and you and you you sent that with beautiful lyrics and the music. But what is what is it we're witnessing? Okay. Go ahead and break that down. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to break it down. <laughs> so basically, um, I, so the song is called From Green to Red and the art project is called From Green to Red. And I wrote the song, you know, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, after seeing An Inconvenient Truth, um, when I just thought like, oh my God, you know, where, where the hell are we going and how 
you know, how are we not on a better track? Um, and I thought, well, I don't need to record this song because everyone will see the documentary and in a few years, you know, everything will be righted. Um, and obviously that didn't happen. So that song ended up becoming part of the second record, which was then woven into the this jacket, this album jacket. So um, anyway, so then, you know, fast forward to recently, uh, last year, I was sort of really just figuring out what I wanted to do in terms of the next, you know, the next record installation I already had figured out, which is this way of presenting an album using frequency hopping code pioneered by Hedy Lamarr as this sort of secret communication system. Um, and that was going to be at the Art Institute of Chicago. And that, so that was kind of like, okay, that's that next, you know, same constant what, what could an album look like today? Um, but I felt just so frustrated with where we were um, environmentally. And it was, yeah, it was just really tearing at me. So I was thinking, how could you, you know, how, how can we make it more relatable? Because right now it's so, it's so kind of incomprehensible and it's so, it's so kind of impossible to grasp. And I was sitting with a friend from NASA, one of the chief engineers at NASA, and he was showing me, you know, the CO2 um, emissions graph. And I was just like, kind of like, <laughs> if everyone saw this, if everyone was able to see this and absorb this, would that help? So taking that graph as an idea and essentially 800,000 years of historic data, I thought, is there a way of presenting that using art and the power of art to make things relatable so that we can actually get a sense of where we are right now? Um, and so what you saw was a timeline of the planet built using 800,000 years of historic NASA data, um, which essentially shows the threads, you know, right. turning from green to red, but also, you know, the, those data points getting disrupted as we get... You know, that's the, why, because I saw the years and that's what that meant. So it's the yeah. timeline. Oh my gosh. So it's the timeline of the planet. And, you know, that song is, is, you know, ultimately four minutes long, but that's just what you saw as the trailer for um, an installation I'm going to be doing next year at the London Design Biennale um, of this project, which will be kind of the full installation version where people will actually be able to interact with this woven timeline and discover sort of more context behind what's going on. Um, and they'll also be able to sort of live mix the audio. So depending on how engaged people are, you know, there'll be different messages that will be coming out of that audio experience. So it will be a whole sort of visual audio, um, immersive installation around the planet's timeline and atmospheric CO2 levels. Um, and that was actually what I was going to be doing all of lockdown. Like that project was going to be at Cannes Lion and, and oh, South wow. by and Wall Street Journal Festival and the UN Global Climate Summit. Like it was literally like this amazing trajectory across the summer and into the fall. Um, and then lockdown hit. And, you know, my reaction was like, well, if, you know, as you said before we got on this call, you see the air clearing, you know, as we did at the beginning of lockdown and you start seeing, you know, 
creatures sort of reclaiming the land and, and in Venice, the canals cleared and all these amazing image, images that were coming out from just people being inside. So I felt like, well, if there's any sort of tangible difference that's being made during this period that I was going to be presenting a project about making a tangible difference, <laughs> right, right. Then, then that's sort of, you know, that's great. Um, but obviously we've got the fires and yeah. you know, we've got the record temperatures um, and, you know, it's like, so it, it is still so front of mind uh, for me and I think for a lot of people. And so having that project be at the D London Design Biennale next year, which was oh, thank goodness. for a month. Yeah. Because I feel like your work needs to be in colleges and universities and I it would even say high schools. The way that what you just explained, I saw that as something for high schoolers and college students to watch and learn because it's aesthetically pleasing to watch and hear, which would open you up to absorbing the knowledge in front of you. Right. Well, and I think that's the thing about, you know, with art and technology, it's like technology should always serve the art, you know, and, you know, and ultimately art humanizes technology. And if, but if we can use both, if, you know, if we can be clever and know where to keep things raw and where to preserve and where to, and what to reclaim, um, but also where we can innovate and where we can kind of, you know, allow people to see things differently. So you take big data, which is so impossible for a lot of us to kind of get our heads around, but then you use music and you use art to make it relatable. Um, or you take technology and, you know, you turn, as I do with the record experiences, you turn sort of something nostalgic into something exciting again, you know. Um, I, I guess that's what I'm always trying to do is just how do we keep reminding ourselves of what is valuable and that just because we now have all this access and we now have sort of everything at our fingertips there's also a lot we've kind of lost along the way and it's really important to to just remember that and and to sort of figure out well where's that sweet spot between you know getting the the best out of innovation um and but also preserving the best of human of our humanity which is the question because as humans we tend to ignore rules and we tend i if if memory serves on things that I've learned when I was younger, but humans seem to be the only creatures on the planet that bend the environment for their needs versus learning to adapt to the environment presented to them. And we'll hide it in the guise of science sometimes. And a lot of the times we're doing it for good. And then there are times when we're not, and we're experiencing that right now. You know, we talked about that. I mean, I, and I told you off air when I was still Lyft driving, when everything shut down, at least up here, because I'm in, I'm in Sacramento. So I'm up in North in, uh, California. And I noticed, and this is April. So it was like sort of the end of March to the end of April. And I noticed Number one, I got everywhere completely on time, which I never knew what that meant because there was no one on the road. But everything stayed green. The weather stayed this nice 69.70. I saw more animals out and about, especially in San Francisco. More coyotes came out. More raccoons came out. More birds came out. More bees came out. Mm. And there was this quiet. 
And there wasn't all that, like you mentioned being in that space where you can hear your own blood flow. I was hearing more of the world because there wasn't cars and technology and buses and planes and people and all this interference, which those frequencies in itself dull and destroy nature. Right. And I know this. And I think what's happening, at least for me, you, you know, where we live in California, where we technically never have seasons, we were experiencing this year seasons. And then now we went from having all of this beauty and this calmness to devastation and chaos with the smoke and the fires, because at least up here we were hit with, it was on a Sunday a month ago, over 10,000 lightning strikes at the same time that sparked almost 300 fires simultaneously. That's how this all started. Yeah, something we've never experienced. And now I'm witnessing, I know people for some reason are doubting science and they think it's a, it's a conspiracy and the government's after us. And I was, yeah. And I'm like, guys, go back to school and study. I mean, I'm not saying that that couldn't happen, but understand where we're at climate wise and our ecosystems are just fucked. And then you're right. It's just knowing, it's knowing when to back off and when to apply it. And we have the knowledge and the, t- and the intelligence, mm-hmm. people like you, <laughs> obviously, you know, your work is, I honestly feel if you haven't already embarked on that should be on the educational level. It should be if it isn't already. Have you considered that? <laughs> well, I, well, I, you know, I, like I've definitely given talks at different, you know, um, universities or Berkeley right. or wh- wherever, or the U- USC and, um, I, yeah, I feel like anyone and everyone, I mean, it's that, again, it's that thing where I kind of, whether it's like even a group of like small kids through to, you know, I did this whole project in in nursing homes. And and so that whole thing again, and that was like music and dementia and which is. Which is another program or project you've done. (laughs) Yeah. And that's a whole other story, but like that, fed back into everything I now know Uh, and I believed already but now it just has reaffirmed you know music and nature I mean Dr. Neurologist Oliver Sacks for every whether it was um, autism, schizophrenia, Parkinson's, dementia uh, almost every neurological condition that he was looking at and he was one of the great neurologists and humanists and he's a huge hero of mine and you know, he showed, well, firstly, just music, the power of music on such a deep, profound level as the one thing that could unlock these conditions when nothing else could. But moving away from that, because, and that is ultimately what I I went down and did this study, you know, myself in, in that vein. But, you know, he, he said there are two things that connect people or reconnect people um, when they're in, you know, very serious neurological binds and it's it's art music and it's nature you know so it's like we don't have to keep on reinventing the wheel and I feel as if in the same way that you said you know that beautiful silence where you could hear you know you could hear the world it's like the the same things going on those frequencies that are you know whether it's travel and traffic and all of that stuff but just our daily lives, you know, social media and calendar alerts and news and all, yeah. the, all these things are coming in at the same superficial frequency, this stream of information 
um, that's constantly bombarding us and, and, you know, numbing our sensory systems until we're ultimately kind of, you know, we, we don't really feel things anymore because we need more stimuli. You yes. Know, it it's an addiction. We're so desensitized that we have to keep feeding ourselves. Uh, yeah. And it's the same, it's the same with music. Music gets more and more, you know, whether it's the ear sugar frequencies or com the compression or whatever. And I just feel as if it's, it's almost like, you know, and that's also why I'm doing this project at the moment with the post, which, you know, is something. Totally yes. We're going to go into that. Yeah, right. Like, there are these, I feel like there are these core human experiences that keep us alive inside, you know, and they're not, it's not complicated. It's like music, you know, art, nature, um, you know, receiving mail, you know, like th these really simple things that we can take for granted on such a huge level because we think like, oh, but, you know, now we have all the access. Like, so the, the thing about the digital era with music is it created access without any value. So we now have everything that we want, but we, there's no value attached to it. And, That's a really and, good way to put it. And curation also got totally dislodged because, you know, media... It no longer really mattered, like, you know, magazines and radio shows, they all lost that ability to say like, hey, we're super passionate about this, you should check it out. So suddenly we have, we have access, but no value. And we have noise, but no curation. So what do we do? You know, and I think now is the time to reclaim a lot of these things that are at our fingertips, you know, writing someone a letter or going out for a walk and just, you know, appreciating the, the beauty and, and obviously, you know, crazy air, like fire, fires permitting and all of that. But like, yeah, I guess I'm just really a, bit, a big, as much as I am a futurist in some ways, and I'm, I don't even like that term particularly, but I'm also, I also feel like there's a lot that we shouldn't let go of, you know? Definitely. We, we can't forget our past because that's no way to go into the future. So we'll segue into that, into this, this next project that you've got going on, right? Which is the Postcards for Democracy. Go ahead and give us a little background on that one. So yeah, this is a very new project, um, just launched a week or so ago with uh, Mark Mothersbaugh um, from Devo. And he and I share a love of, you know, mail and tangible forms as much as our futuristic kind of explorations. And we just decided to partner on this project. We'd been trying to figure out what we could collaborate on and, you know, writing letters and receiving letters was sort of the one thing that kept me sane during lockdown. And he's been making art, for, you know, male art since the seventies. So, um, particularly in light of, you know, recent events. And it just felt like, oh, this is the perfect way of creating a kind of art demonstration that people can get involved with that gives them a creative outlet. But they're also supporting, you know, this, this vital institution um, that we should really be using and sort of, you know, again, not letting just not letting slip away. So it's called Postcards for Democracy, and we just ask anyone and everyone, if they feel like it, to send us a card that they've made. Uh, they can, it can be as simple as something they've, 
you know, augmented. It can be an existing card they've added to, or it can be something they've made from scratch. And post it to us uh, at 8760 Sunset Boulevard. Um, and we are making a ultimately a physical uh, installation of all of the mail and a digital gallery and another sort of art piece out of it. And yeah, I was there yesterday and it's crazy. Like even after a week or so. You posted <laughs> some photos on your IG I saw of yeah. the mail that you've received. Because well, I was... thought, do you know what you two are getting into? Because you're going to be processing millions of postcards. I, I, had, <laughs> I actually had a chat with Mark today because we were trying to figure out how to scan them all. And, you know, he's literally like scanning all like everyone front and back is going to take like <laughs> it's going to be you know the next year of our lives but, um, <laughs> but no it's it's been amazing it's been such a joyful project and it you know we and just getting people sort of comments and and how much they're enjoying it and um and particularly i think particularly in lockdown feeling physically connected and feeling part of something but then also you know, again, it feeds back to supporting USPS. So yes, because it, it, it's like a triple, it's like a triple Dewey because you're sending the postcard. So you're keeping USPS going. And then you're being creative. You know, you're you're doing something that doesn't require a f your phone or the TV or video games, you're actually creating and curating yourself and the sky's the limit whatever you want to do with it like there isn't i mean when i showed that earlier with your website those were s examples right those were sample arts oh yeah so yeah. whatever you want to do and then you send it in and then now you become a collective it's like the the whole world gets to come together the you know the whole nation gets to come together and be part of something bigger than just ourselves totally I, I loved the whole concept. Like that's why I said I'm gonna wait and now I'm gonna do it. Because I do, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to mailing Christmas cards this year. Um, writing out individual like I've had to work on my penmanship because of all the typing of over the years. You know, I recently did something for my birthday where I people donated money and I put together shirts of a, a band I was in like one show. And when I sent them out, I hand wrote the thank you cards and I hand wrote little notes to the people pertaining to our friendship and our bond because that's something tangible that you can hold on to, especially with everything we're going through because we physically can't see each other right now. So here's something since you can't see me, right? Yeah. It's like the, the old pen pals back in the day. You know, you had a pen pal. People would sign up to have a pen pal from across the world or across the U.S. because you would never physically get to see them. You get to write each other letters, and that's what this felt like. So thank you to you and Mark for coming up with this incredible – idea so when did the birth of this actually come to fruition before you launched it like yeah were I, you it, sitting having tea were you putting mail in the box one day like so um we'd been we'd been trying to figure out how how to collaborate because honestly you know the way that my brain goes um <laughs> i think i think mark is the same and there aren't that many people you know when you meet a person like that where it's like oh you could explain an idea and they just they just get it yeah it's, it's kind of as if and it, and not in an elitist way at all it's just that language of where you feel like such a weirdo and then you're you're having this conversation and it's like oh it just you know it just instantly makes sense so um we were sort of talking about what we could do and um and then you know when lockdown sort of hit so that was sort of pre-lockdown and then okay 
when everything kicked off and um, mail became again like something that I'd always done. I'd always written letters, and as much as I was sort of out of the you know, at university, people thought I was, again, weird for writing letters <laughs> and sending people stuff instead of calling them. Um, and so, <laughs> so then when, you know, when I also discovered, like, Mark's passion for po making postcards, which, again, he's made for years. He's got, like, 500 books of postcard art. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was like, oh. That I didn't know. Yeah. Wow. So And that's really a huge, like, his, that's, he does it every day. So oh. I felt like even before things happened with, you know, USPS in the, because stuff, you know, USPS has been neglected for so long, but before it got very intense, right. um, I felt like it would be great for us to do this kind of exhibition of people's letters in lockdown. Cause I love that idea of something we connected through it could also, you know, be something that we reflected. And then when everything got much more intense, it was like, oh, this has this whole other dimension to it now if we do it now. Right. So um, it was also, you know, I, I, you may not know, but also he, he almost, you know, he had a real um, close call with COVID. So um, that was something that, you know, was, yeah, it was kind of devastating at the time because it was like, oh, my God, like, is this person going to be okay and now he just really wants to be putting his energy into, yeah, good things. So this felt like just the perfect thing to be doing together and, and particularly now. Oh, especially now. I mean, I was discussing this in a couple of other podcast interviews with people on how something we take for granted, mailing something, is now threatened, you know? Yeah. I mean, when I saw on the news that they were just pulling up boxes and taking them away... That really just happened because are we trying to say that COVID's never going away? Like, why would you get rid of a box? Yeah. That, I mean, I, I don't want to get into that. But yes, so I love this. Everyone listening, please do it. It is postartfordemocracy.com. If you can't see it, if you're not in the chat room with us or watching this, the video live. and Or you can go to bdwolf.com, her website. She's got it on her page as well. And you have up until, I believe you said, the election date, right? November 3rd to send it in? Yeah, I mean, we're not trying to make it. Obviously, it's going to end up being... <laughs> you know but it's i mean because you want to give a date so that people don't just sit yeah. on their asses and not no, do no. something i mean it's that de yeah definitely like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but you know it's it's also the thing of it shouldn't have been it shouldn't be politicized in the first place you correct know? and that's that's a big that's kind of the what it's also about so um but i the way i see things is is you can move things forward i think by you know, there's sort of angry reactivity and then there's sort of, then there's sort of positive reactivity. And, and I feel as if this is really engaging, you know, that the joy of people sitting down and making something and, and, and a lot of, it's wonderful to see a lot of people have actually been doing it for a lot of time and then people haven't done it at all. So you've got all, every, so many different kinds of people getting involved and so many different expressions and so many different ideas. And it becomes this sort of collective representation of our times. So it's just got a real positive feeling to it, which I think is really important because it's very easy to get totally 
depressed <laughs> and, <laughs> and dismayed, you know, right, with everything. Right. But I think, you know, it's about where you put your energy. And, you know, if you can put your energy into things that create some good, that's what we need right now, you know. Agreed. Agreed. You know, you seriously, it's everything you do, you have this gift. It's like you see a need for something and you fill the pocket on levels you probably didn't intend to when you start it. But by the time it's done, it's like, oh, wow. And then it affects this and this and this and this and this and this, even though it's not your intention, because you, you'll say that over and over again, how it's not the intention, but your gift, you do it. It's incredible. I mean, this installation is going, it just touches on so many levels other than the art, even though that's the most important part of it. And the community of it and the connection of it is what I truly love about it. Yeah. That's why I'm excited about it because I can't wait to <laughs> like, no, right? Every, <laughs> no, but everything, everything. I, yeah, everything about it. I think that, um, I think sometimes there are just ideas, you know, this is also a big thing about, you know, just being a vessel for something and i know it's talked about a lot and it can and it can be very esoteric but it's entirely how i i identify with that process which is you know there are all these ideas sort of around us and like we just have to tune in and or we just have to be ready to receive them and there it I, is yeah, ready to receive it ready to receive yeah it. and then open not, yourself up to it and then just be be a be that facilitator and don't make it an, an ego thing and don't make it a sort of like you know oh wow wow i'm so clever for doing that and and then it has a different energy you know it's right it's serving a, a greater purpose and it came through you were a funnel in the ways that so many people are funnels for other things you know absolutely no i this has been so amazing. I just, I just, I just heart you so much, BD. I cannot wait till all this lifts and we can actually go and have tea in person together. Cause yeah. I know we've discussed that. In fact, I would love to, if things do clear up and when they do clear up, hopefully it's around the time you're still working on this. I would love to take a trip down South and kind of like see it happening. Your little collecting yeah. of the postcards <laughs> and the scanning and right. I would love to see, I would love to see your, you doing a little work in progress. Cause that in itself, I'm sure you have behind the scenes of everything you've ever created. Cause just that alone, yeah. I think is, is just as incredible to view and to witness as totally. the finished product. So in wrapping this up, where do you see, I, cause I want to say music, but you're so more than that, but where do you see that happening? You know, especially for artists that are struggling with, do they stay with their career in this? Because we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Like by the end of 2020, where do you see it going or ending up? You know, I, I have, I have no idea. And I, th but I do think, so there are a few, three things. I think, I think figure out why you, you wanted, why you're doing what you're doing. And if that really feels right, you know, if it's actually not about a lot of the external shit, like, you know, things that can just take time, you know, like I had, I had to have so much determination and ignore so much of what I was told. And, you know, it, it, the payoffs only come a lot later and often they, and they, they come in very bizarre ways, you know, in ways you weren't expecting. So I think, it's about really sitting with it and like th figuring out what is it you want to say and what is it you feel or, or what is it you feel needs to be said. Um, 
and then just realizing that everything is shifting right now. And with everything shifting, I think actually there's going to be a lot of good because I think it's going to displace some of the old structures that have, you know, in different ways are just outdated. You know, I think there's a huge shift coming with the whole way we listen to music. I think, you know, it's got to the point where music has become so valueless, it's going to swing the other way. I really believe that. And so while it's I, almost like a cleansing in yeah, a sense, yeah. And Spring cleaning. <laughs> you could, and you could actually apply that to everything. It's right. like, we've got so um, disconnected, you know, from again, a lot of the things we talked about that I actually see this as a time of people becoming much more empowered and really choosing what they're doing and why they're doing it. And with that, I think you're going to see, you know, going back to deeper experiences around listening, you know, to records or performance, you know, the new, new performances that when they come, you know, I think there will be more ceremony or appreciation or we, we see that zoom doesn't really work in that way because you miss a lot of that. Again, that sort of tangible, you know, being in that space and the music in that space and technology does not serve in, in that arena, you know, no. So I just say, just be, you know, just be clear on why you want to do it. And if you know why, that's actually often the hardest. That's a lot of things that people don't even figure out ever. Um, but that's almost the best place to reassess things from. And just be unique. You know, I think we have such a world of like, trying to sound like this or trying to do that or replicate this. And it's all like the algorithms and blah, blah, blah. And I don't want to sound boring, but it's like <laughs> be, ori be original. You yeah. Know, yeah. Be original and go with what is, is exciting to you. Cause if it's exciting to you, it's likely going to be exciting to someone else. And that passion is so infectious. That's why I got Robert Wilson to update the horn antenna. There it is. There you sure did. You put a fire on that old man's butt and he was like, girl, let's do this. And you did it. That's, I love that story. I'm just going to carry that and just share that with everybody. That's amazing. So thank you so much for that and for taking this time. Um, yeah. So everybody, BD Wolf, follow her, look her up. Her work is extensively amazing and enjoy the rest of your evening. This is Mickey Angelina with the Bad Filipino signing off. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to the Bad Filipino Podcast. Be sure to check the live video versions of these episodes on my YouTube, my Facebook, and my Twitch and Twitter accounts. That's Mickey Angeline with the Bad Filipino Podcast.